Welcome to the LSU NCBRT Preparedness Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Markle. I'm a curriculum development specialist here at NCBRT, and I work in collaboration with subject matter experts to create valuable and timely training for the responder community. The National Center for Biomedical Research and Training provides mobile training to both the national and international emergency response community. Today on the podcast, we're talking to Brenda Dietzman, Ashley Voislavovich, and Courtney Tassin about generational issues related to leadership. Ashley Voislavovich is a certified senior crime analyst at a mid-sized law enforcement agency in the southeastern United States, where she has been for the past 11 years. She has been an LSU NCBRT subject matter expert and instructor for the past seven years. She recently successfully defended her dissertation, which focuses on law enforcement recruitment and motivations in a post-Ferguson era. Brenda Dietzman is a retired colonel under sheriff from Cedrics County Sheriff's Office in Wichita, Kansas. She retired at the end of 2018 and now has her own business where she does various trainings. In her 28 years in law enforcement and corrections, she spent 25 of that in the sworn side and retired as the undersheriff in charge of jail operations. Courtney Tassin is a licensed professional counselor candidate and is a program manager for a paramedic co-responder model in Aurora, Colorado. She has worked as a co-responding therapist in a law enforcement co-responder model and as a targeted violence prevention specialist with the Aurora Police Department. Prior to her work within law enforcement and local government, she worked within community mental health centers, competency restoration clinics, and the federal prison system. She is a subject matter expert at LSU and CBRT and focuses on law enforcement, mental health, and de-escalation tactics. Can we talk about um, the challenges of working across generations and how we can combat these challenges? What are the challenges of working across generations and how can we combat these challenges? I think some of the main challenges, at least in my opinion, are the conflicting priorities in life. And like Brenda had touched on, it's it's a very different way of working. So with millennials and Gen Z, they're wanting that reassurance and they're wanting that mentorship and they're wanting that close um, supervision where prior generations were very independent because they had to be, and it was actually viewed pretty negatively to rely on your supervisor so heavily. At least in my department, I've heard so many Gen X or command staff getting frustrated and looking at a millennial officer negatively because they want so much reassurance or they want so much supervision or even just consultation when it comes to calls and stuff. So I think some of the main conflicting things that we see and almost clashing things are because we have very different work styles. And I think that can be really difficult. It's like when you, it's like when you work with a partner who has a very different style than you, it's hard to kind of find a perfect mesh of how to work together effectively. So we're seeing this command staff at these Gen X, with this Gen X generation, mostly in these higher levels of position and authority. And we have millennials who are starting to move up in that process, who are getting major, major pushback from these higher levels of command. They're coming up with these innovative ideas of how to lead. They're coming up with just kind of a different perspective when it comes to being a leader. And I think Ashley touched on it really well earlier. These leaders look different now than in Gen X, what a leader was. In Gen X, being a leader was telling people what to do and just expecting it to be done. 
And now being a leader looks like providing supervision and giving guidance and kind of pushing someone in the right way, but also kind of staying alongside with them and helping them ensure that they're working toward the right process. Yeah, we're definitely asking a lot more of leaders today than we have been in the past. We're, we're almost asking those in those leadership positions to be all things to all people, especially when you have a, a team or a squad that is made up of multiple generations. You have someone towards the end of their career, you have another officer who's just beginning, you have someone in the middle, and you as the commander of that team or unit have to be able to adapt yourself to each of these individuals and understand how they um, receive critiques or um, suggestions or what their motivations are. And, and so you're really asking a lot of an individual to be able to, to, to adapt so quickly between who they're working with. Um, and so I think a lot of it just really goes back to equipping the leadership appropriately and, and making that investment to where they understand the, the different motivations, the perceptions, and then how to relate to their officers, um, to, to take the time to build those interpersonal relationships, get to know your personnel. Yes, it's a, it can be a timely um, effort, especially when you have agencies that are much larger. But if you start to incorporate this mindset, again, at the beginning of a career, as you have those individuals who get promoted and put into different positions, they will have that reinforcement of this is how I should be an effective leader. And ultimately that's that's going to change uh, the culture of your department over time if if not immediately what are the strengths of younger generations moving into leadership roles in law enforcement and on the other hand what challenges do they face i think one of the biggest strengths that we see with this younger generation moving forward is the innovation and creativeness. Um, there is this push to utilize technology to progress the profession, um, just as each generation has done before. But with this Gen Z generation specifically, you have a, a group that has been brought up with this pervasiveness of technology. It is everywhere. They are growing up with iPads and iPhones in their hands and knowing how to work all these apps better than their parents. And, and technology has always been part of their lives. In addition to that, this use of using technology for creativeness and innovation is something that no other generation has been able to do before simply because the technology hasn't been there for that. So this idea of they come into the profession of wanting to um, help others, but then also improve and reform a, a, an organization or a profession. And now they have these technological tools that maybe a, an earlier generation is not quite as familiar with, such as all the social media trending, um, <laughs> media trending things. And so it's something that Gen Z is extremely comfortable with and willing to utilize 
Um, so it's this creativeness of how can I take something that I'm familiar with and use it to make a difference or implement it in a new way. And let's test and try and see what we end up with. So it's something that is just really, it, it's an aspect that we haven't seen before simply because that those tools haven't been available the way they have yet. And then on the other hand, there's, there's this feeling of being unequipped or restricted and limited in what they are, are able to do. So we've talked about this a little bit with a lack of training. Um, yes, for equipping for leadership development, have they even gone through a leadership training, but take away the leadership aspect and just look at professional goals. They have these big career goals of, oh, I want to end up you know, in this unit, this specialized area. And so they have the goals, but they are lacking the practical experience required to meet those goals. So the idea and the concept is there, but the practicality of how to get there is is where the, the waters get a little muddy. And so that, again, goes back to the current leadership and that mentorship coaching aspect in being able to clear those waters, so to say, and help help those individuals find their path forward. Um, so, so yeah, this is it's something that again a simple concept, but practicality. How are we going to do this? It might take a little more effort on one end, but this generation is extremely unique. Um, you have those who are entering law enforcement and they're bringing with them a very unique perspective of the profession, meaning that they have been exposed to all this negative media surrounding police work at a rate that is unprecedented in U.S. history. And yet they are still choosing this career. So they're bringing with them this awareness of the imperfections of law enforcement, very aware of it because media has put it out there. And, but on the other hand, it's important to allow these individuals with this perspective to utilize those unique skills in addressing the issues and being able to be proactive in a department. I completely agree. And I think we are seeing these, this new generation of leaders being happy to be that mentor or support role because that's what they wanted in a leader as well. But I think maybe some of the difficulties is almost micromanagement at that point. I see a lot more of these millennial leaders um, wanting to be very involved and making sure it's the way that they like it because that's what they were raised on as well of seeking that approval and making sure things are being done the way that's expected. So in these leadership roles, they kind of flip the side of it of being very involved in what's happening and being very involved in the execution of things. So I think while they have this ability to be these phenomenal mentors and supervisors, they also maybe struggle with letting their subordinates be more independent. Well, I love my millennials and I love my Gen Zers. Um, they bring uh, um, a, a boldness to to this, to, to life and to profession and this profession. Uh, I think that they have the ability to question things, to make things better. And, you know, when I give, when I go out and I give talks, I'm like, 
you know, we got to change because if we don't, we're going to lose this, this, these generations and, and they're going to change it anyway, um, after we leave. So we might as well get on board and, and there's so much good. Um, I think that they, um, have an incredible heart, uh, to, and, and they bring an incredible heart of wanting to make their communities better, wanting to make the profession better, uh, and, and, so I think that um, they bring a lot of good in, in that way. Um, as far as the hurdles, I think that there's some old school uh, still uh, in this profession, a lot of old school still in this profession. I think that depends on the organizational leadership. I, I've seen organizations out there that are absolutely jumping on board and coming up with some incredible um, uh policies and and just just the way that they move through uh, problems and issues. And, and then I see others and I'm, I just shake my head because I know that they're just going to continue to have more and more troubles and more and more issues. And they are attracting the wrong people to this org uh, to, to this profession. So, um, you know, the 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 trick is is for the younger generations to to come in and continue to make the changes that need to be made. And, you know, it's it's the same in all generations, right? We we just try to build on on the good and try to get rid of more of the bad. And and that's that's the hurdle that they that they have right now. Um, so what do you think can be done to build up the next generation of supervisors? Yeah, if I said this once, I'll say it a thousand times that it, it's a grassroots effort. Leadership training needs to happen from day one. We need to move away from this idea that leadership training is only for those in command level positions it's not. It should be happening before we have the officer ever reaching that point of a promotional prospect. Um, in law enforcement, everyone is a leader. You have community members who look to the patrol officer for guidance. You have the squad leaders who are um, mentoring their, their squad and guiding them in, in patrol directives. Um, you don't there needs to be this recognition that one does not need to be in a place of high positional authority to be a leader. It, it's not true. And so once as law enforcement as a whole recognizes this responsibility to the community, to their own department, and we start investing in, in our the leadership potential of our officers from day one, we're, we're going to build up that next generation of supervisors who are, are well-equipped and prepared and well-educated in regards to interpersonal relationships, how to manage an organization, and we're, we're going to just have better quality officers. So it, it starts from the very beginning, but it is crucial that we do that. I think absolutely. I think in the past... Um... A lot of training happens after you get that promotion. Uh, I think also we need to think about, you know, instead of promoting people who are doing a really great job at what they're doing currently is, is to really start to look at the, their potential of their ability to perform at the next level. 
because a great detective may be a horrible supervisor, right? So we have to, <laughs> there you go. So we have to really think about that ability to perform at the next level and, and start to, um, our scoring on promotional exams, whatever they are in the promotional process, we really need to look at that. We also need to keep those informal leaders, those those people who do not want to promote. Um, they don't have any um, aspirations of that. They may not think that they're going to be great at it, which they may really need to vet that out. But um, really, really using those people and appreciating those people for who they are. And it's great to have a 30-year veteran that's that's still a street street cop and all of that experience, all those tips and tricks that they know, and then really turn that person into a mentor or more importantly, probably with the younger generations, a coach, right? Instead of that formal leadership. I often laugh that, you know, if you have a formal leadership program and you get together for one hour a week, that that's not mentoring, it's therapy. And so we really need to, we really need to really have that hands-on immediate feedback. That's what the generations want. They're used to that authority figure there, giving them feedback on a constant basis. That's more of a coaching relationship as opposed to a mentoring um, relationship. And then we also need to invest, like, like Ashley said, right before the promotion process, we need to give them those career pathways and then we also need to invest in them as a person. They look to an employer uh, as their kind of their life coach, right? They want that, all of that. They want the financial planning, the wellness planning, the parenting, all of those things that we can give to them above and beyond just leadership training. Because as a result of that, first of all, it involves their family. It involves the priorities, what's important to them. Um, but it, it also makes them more resilient because they have more, um, tools to fall back on, uh, and to rely on, uh, through trauma and adversity that they're going to face in this profession. I'm just going to reiterate what everyone else said. I think training from the get-go leadership skills, teaching that in the academy, I think is huge. I think some academies really struggle to... Um, instill a sense of confidence in their officers. I think a lot of times there's this, it's not consistent with what we want on the road. This academy class is teaching, respecting authority. It's teaching you how to be a cop, of course, and how to be an officer and how to make decisions under stress and be a critical thinker. I think a lot of academies really struggle to instill that sense of confidence once they get out of the academy. It's constantly second guessing yourself, which can be really dangerous in the field. You don't want to second guess yourself. You want to know that your decision is the right decision and be able to stick with that. So I think leadership training and skills from the get-go, from the academy, critical thinking, and the ability to problem solve, looking at law enforcement and framing it as a form of problem solving and customer service. And that's what they do at my department is framing it in that way, rather than being this hard person and this enforcement figure in the community, how can you be giving back to your community? And again, I think it all boils down to training. To wrap up today, 
What do you think the future looks like for new generations in law enforcement and how will these people impact the nature of policing? Well, we touched on this before, but we recognize that those who are entering this profession have that unique perspective in that they are entering police work at this unprecedented time in U.S. history, despite all of the barriers and challenges to the profession that that are currently being faced, they are still making this decision to choose this career. And that is something that research needs to recognize, as well as the organization itself and looking at how to uh, improve efforts internally and externally. When we look at the potential for impacting the nature of policing, that I believe there's going to be this new type of professionalism. In, in literature, we have talked about uh, law enforcement becoming more professionalized. And what does that mean? Well, in, in what I believe is going to be most critical is this approach to policing as a corporation, drawing inspiration from a business model. And we already see this when we're looking at strategic planning in how to address different types of operations, such as recruitment, crime rates, employee well-being. These are all models that the professional and privatized world has, has already adopted and has shown can be extremely successful. Um, if we can learn to adapt these concepts and apply them to law enforcement, we're, we're going to be more effective as, as an organization, as a culture, and our role in society. And the good thing about this new generation coming into power is that they feel this sense of responsibility and will be the ones to do this. The professionalism of law enforcement is that it will continue to adapt to the community's needs. Um, and if they didn't do such, we would end up in a, a sort of societal chaos. And so there is this commitment to adapt. We know that the new generation is going to be the, the power horse behind pushing us forward. And so recognizing that aspect with all of their strengths and unique perspectives and um, the willingness to invest in their professional development, as well as taking current leadership and training them to um, best work well seamlessly with the new hires. It's, it's, it's a collaborative effort, um, but it's extremely meaningful. And it's, it's an approach that perhaps doesn't go with traditional norms of how an organ, a police organization is run. But if we start to treat the police organization as that business model and what is success and what are our goals and what do we want to reach in a projected five-year period and how are we treating our officers? What's the human resource aspect of it? And are our different are the different needs getting met in the department? What is the financial situation? If we look at that from a business standpoint, then I believe we're going. We have a lot of tools there that have already been developed and um, proven to be successful that we can pull from and adapt and apply to our own organizations. So I think that is going to be the key in the future of law enforcement and how this new generation is going to adapt us to it. 
I really think that we need to think of our mission uh, as a profession. What's our mission? Because I, I, I think um, we've potentially maybe gotten outside of that because we've been trying to um, do do all of the good things, the, the, the bright, shiny things that ends up, you know, on Facebook and things like that um, to try to counteract um, some of what we are. Uh, some of what we have to do is ugly. It is not pretty. Um, but there's a reason that 911 is normally the last resort uh, for people to call. And if something's not on fire, if nobody's hurt, they send the cops. Um, and that's tough. But it's a tough job that somebody's got to do, that, that somebody has to do. And that's hard. Um, so I think that we really need to take a look at our mission and make sure that we are doing what we are great at, not trying to do a whole bunch of things that we're good at. Uh, and, and, and that's hard for me to say, right? Cause I came from a community policing background and, and I think that that's absolutely important because we have to build those relationships. But I think that we also need to think about how we work with other organizations within our, our communities uh, whether it be nonprofits, other governmental entities, even the private sector. And working together, how can we provide the best outcome for our communities? Uh, and, and I think that that, going back to the whole teamwork concept that, that the newer generations are really, really good at, I think that we're going to see that as we continue to move forward. But really looking back at our mission and not going too overboard of of um, bowing to what at least the loudest in society wants. Um, and, and by that, I mean, like, I don't want, like, you know, guns to be taken away and, and tools that we absolutely need to be taken away. Uh, some people, you know, they're like, well, the law enforcement has become so militarized. Well, I mean, I got shot at one time with a 12 gauge shotgun and I had a nine millimeter handgun. This is not a fair fight. Uh, when I am going up to a scene uh, on a search warrant and I know that there are, you know, 10 AK-47s in the, in the, in the, um, in the residence or in the building that I'm going to do the search warrant on, I don't want to go up there in a, in a Prius, right? I want to, have some armor between me and those weapons. Um, this this is hard for society to hear, but we absolutely need to keep those tools because we're talking about people's lives here. Uh, and I want to do everything I can to keep our officers safe. But we need to go back to the mission. We can't go overboard with what society wants um, because there is a realistic side that a lot of people aren't aware of in this world. And we have to be brutally honest about that while still fulfilling the needs to protect, to serve, and to, to, to fulfill our missions uh, within communities. And I think that's a really good point. And I think this need for approval from these new generations um, can significantly impact how much we um, 
placate society sometimes because it's really easy to Monday morning quarterback it. And yeah, a lot of things are great in a perfect world. Just in the last six months, I've been in three different situations where someone was shooting at us, where one time we're in the Bearcat and our vehicle is being shot into. And I'm a mental health professional working in this space. So you can have all the resources there and things are still happening. And, you know, obviously this is like worst case scenario, but I agree. There's this level of wanting to please society. And also there is some need, like society has got some great ideas that we really do need to evaluate and see how we can put them into practice. How can we make our best practices the best practices instead of just saying, hey, we've always done it this way. Don't get me wrong. I also want these safety things. I cannot tell you how many times just in the last few months, like stuff's hit the fan and we've needed those things. And it's just an unfortunate reality of life that things don't always go in the best, um, in the best way on either side, right? We see really bad shootings and we also see people who are just not great people and are trying to harm us. So it's this level of balance that we do need. I do think we're going to keep seeing this shift toward pleasing society and pleasing what society wants from law enforcement. And I think we're going to move more toward this customer service realm rather than this enforcement uh, mindset. I think it's going to be a softer version of policing. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think you need that balance, right? I think before we were very, very enforcement based. This is who you are. You better do what I'm telling you. If you don't do what I'm telling you, then we're going to have issues. Well, now we're really enforcing communication, verbal and nonverbal. I think we're going to continue to see the addition of mental health resources within law enforcement because we do. We expect so much from our officers. You have to be CPS. You have to be a social worker. You have to be a law enforcement officer. Sometimes you have to be a paramedic. We're expecting so much from our officers. And I think our upper command and our community as a whole realizes that. So I think we're going to keep seeing the addition of resources that are external from law enforcement. And most of the officers I talk to are thankful for that. They're like, please, this is out of my scope. When I show up on scene, they're like, oh, thank God. I don't They're like, I, I'm done. I tried. I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Take it away. And a lot of times the issue with bringing in these external resources is not that they're coming in. It's the way we're presenting them to come in. It's saying, you're bad at your job, so we're going to put in someone else who's actually going to do well and not kill these people. Because that's the narrative we see oftentimes. When my program got started, every officer was just frustrated about it because the way it was presented was poor. But then they realize, oh man, this is a great resource for me. I don't have to go on that call where no one's doing anything criminal and they just need support, which like most officers are happy to help. But at the same time, you spoke on it perfectly, Brenda. That's not the mission. The mission is to be a helper, yes. But a lot of times we're putting these officers in roles that they never expected to have to be in and they're not necessarily equipped. So we put it back on training and we're seeing so much more training on de-escalation, on communication and all these things. So I think we're just going to keep seeing that as the new generations take more in control because they see the need of it as well. Thank you to Ashley, Brenda and Courtney for coming on the podcast and sharing with us today. We are taking a break until February when we'll be back with all new episodes. We at the LSU NCBRT Preparedness Podcast wish everyone a very happy holidays and we'll see you again next year. 
If you have any questions or topic suggestions for future episodes, please send us an email at podcast at ncbrt.lsu.edu. Make sure you subscribe to the LSU NCBRT Preparedness Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and we'll see you again next time.